Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite kinds of videos to watch on Instagram are clips of swing dance competitions, and specifically the category of random partner, random song. As you can imagine, in this competition, dancers are paired with someone that they don't normally dance with, and then a randomly chosen song starts to play over the loudspeakers. And the pair takes a couple of seconds to feel out the groove of the song, and then away they go. And you would never know, watching them dance, that they had not been working on this routine for weeks beforehand. It is smooth and effortless, each person seeming to know exactly what the other is about to do. And then they move accordingly. There are spins, there are lifts, there are synchronized hops together. It is everything that you would expect in a professional dance competition, and all of it is improvised right on the spot. That kind of improv is only possible when each dancer has an incredibly good grasp of the basics of their craft. They know all of the moves, and they know how to read the other person for an indication of what move their partner is leading them into. These dancers have been dancing for years, and so the dances are just in them. They have learned how to pay attention. They have learned how to follow. And so they are able to keep in step with their partner, creating a beautiful, effortless, dance. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is urging the Galatians to develop this kind of a relationship with the Spirit. He's just told the people, we talked about this last week, he's just told the people that while they might be free in Christ, they can't use that freedom to do whatever they want. They can't turn God's grace into cheap grace using it as an excuse to sin because, well, we'll just be forgiven afterwards anyway. God's people have been freed for love. 
They are called to respond to God's grace in gratitude, giving themselves to God and to one another. The question then is, well, how do we do this? If we can't keep the law on our own, if the law in fact keeps us captive, is an oppressive guardian that demands of us what we cannot do, then how are we going to be able to follow the law and live as God commands us? Well, Paul tells us in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, right off the bat, we have to be really clear about what Paul is talking about here. Because this verse has been used to promote a kind of dualism in which our souls are contrasted with our bodies. And our souls are considered to be good and pure and beautiful, and our bodies is something bad and sinful. That kind of thinking leads to the belief that any kind of physical enjoyment or delight, sex, good food, the thrill of a roller coaster, an indulgent spa day, that these things are in fact indulgent and sinful, that they, they distract us. And instead, we need to avoid all of these pleasures so that we can just focus on the purity of our souls dwelling only on spiritual things. That is not what Paul is saying here. The flesh, this idea of the flesh, is used elsewhere in Scripture to refer to our pre-redeemed state of being, our fallen nature, our sinful proclivities. So when Paul talks of a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, he isn't talking about our bodies versus our souls, but about our fallen nature versus our redeemed nature. The sinfulness that affects every part of us versus the holiness of God, a holiness that now lives and rules within us by way of the Holy Spirit. It's this sinful and redeemed nature that are in conflict with each other. And all too often, our sinful nature wins out. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And this sin that lives within us pulls us inward. St. Augustine described sin as being curved inside upon yourself. In curvatus in se, in the Latin, being curved inside upon yourself. Martin Luther unpacked this idea from Augustine in his lectures on Romans, and he writes, Scripture describes man as so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical but even spiritual goods for his own purposes. 
and in all things seeks only himself. We have within us this gravity well of self-interest, pulling our focus inwards. And so often we're not even aware that it is this inward pull, this curving in on ourself that is driving a lot of our behaviors. You can see how this inward pull, this inherent selfishness, plays out in the different behaviors that Paul lists in verses 19 to 21. Now, this list is not meant to be exhaustive. The NIV leaves out a word from the original Greek in the beginning clause of verse 19, the word hatina, which means whichever or any such. So you start this list with any such things as, and then he ends his list with and the like. So Paul is giving us here examples that are meant to help us understand what it looks like when we live by the flesh, when we are turned in on ourselves in selfishness. So he lists sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery. Someone turned in on themselves lives to solely gratify their own desires. This is not a sexuality that acts to bring two people closer together in faithful vulnerability. This is not a giving of the self to another, but a using of another to make ourselves feel good with no restraint or control. There's idolatry and witchcraft, using pagan practices to try and get what we want, instead of trusting in God. Paul lists hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage. When we are turned in on ourselves, we get caught up in emotions and behaviors that stoke our ego. We do whatever serves our own sense of self-importance. We lash out when we feel that we have been wronged. We chafe with jealousy when we see someone getting something that we want. Our social interactions are governed by this lack of restraint. We just do whatever feels right to us in the moment. Then there's selfish ambition and dissensions and factions and envy. The word for selfish ambition, erytheia, has connotations of electioneering or campaigning that's done in such a way that there is nothing you will not do to get ahead of your competition. So in, in these sins, there's a desire to promote yourself, to be divisive, to find followers who will make you feel strong and powerful because they are rejecting other people. And then there's drunkenness and orgies, again, both of which indicate a total lack of restraint and a desire to just do whatever feels good in the moment. Everything Paul lists here serves the self. They come out of a, a selfish nature, a nature that is turned in on itself, a nature that says that I am the only thing that matters. And to all of these sins, Paul then lists, gives a contrasting list. In verse 13, Paul had said that those who live by the Spirit are to serve one another, to serve one another in love. So it's hardly a surprise then that the characteristics of those who live by the Spirit 
that these characteristics face not inward, but outward, towards God and each other. Those who live by the Spirit, Paul says, live in love. A love that mirrors the love of Christ, a sacrificial, all-encompassing kind of love. Those who live by the Spirit live in joy, grounded in the deep delight that comes from the knowledge of our salvation and reconciliation with God. Those who live by the Spirit live in peace. This is the peace Christ made possible between us and God, and thus between all of God's children. Trusting that we are held in God's hands, we have this foundation of peace out of which we interact with others. Which means that we can be patient with each other, living in forbearance with one another. When we feel attacked or provoked, rather than lash out in anger, we are slow to speak and act. And when we do speak or act, we do so with kindness. Someone asked me this week what the difference was between being nice and being kind. And I immediately thought of the cultural phenomenon that's called West Michigan nice, which is perhaps the overly general characteristic of a cultural behavior found in West Michigan, where people are outwardly nice and friendly to you, and then you find out a few days later that they've been talking smack about you to your mutual friends. Niceness can be a cover, right? It can be a mask. It can even be a selfish ploy to get what we want from people. But kindness is acting out of a genuine desire to see the other flourish. It is a giving of the self for the sake of the other. And so it's closely related then to goodness. Those who live by the Spirit are faithful. They're loyal. They don't abandon people when the going gets tough. When other people start to ask too much of us, when a situation no longer serves us in any way, they stay. Spirit-filled people are gentle. Again, not lashing out in a bout of hot-headed emotion, but responding to people gently and meekly. And those who live by the Spirit have self-control. So many of the sins that Paul listed above had to do with a lack of restraint, with a, a total abandonment towards just doing whatever feels good. But spirit-filled people are aware of what they're doing, and they control themselves, their behaviors, so that at all times they can be thoughtful about what other people need about what other people are experiencing instead of just serving themselves in any given moment. So this, says Paul, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what the life of a person who lives by the Spirit will be characterized by. And here is something to note about the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of the Spirit are not plural. Paul does not say to us, the fruits of the Spirit are. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is. Unlike spiritual gifts, where we might say that some have the gift of teaching and others have the gift of hospitality, we can't pick or choose the fruit of the Spirit that we most resonate with. We can't say, well, I don't really have a lot of self-control, but that's okay because I'm a really gentle person. So that's, that makes up for it. These nine characteristics make up one singular fruit that the Spirit produces within us. Life lived by the Spirit looks like all of these things. So we can be grateful that the Spirit has produced in us a gentle heart and then pray that the Spirit might help us with self-control. Which leads then to the question, how does the Spirit produce this fruit within us? Well, Paul hints at this in verse 25 at the end of our section. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Which brings me back to the dancers. To keep in step with your partner, you have to be willing to follow your partner. If you don't pay attention to where they are going and you decide to go in a totally different direction, your dance is going to fall apart quite quickly. The ability to create a beautiful dance on the spot with someone comes from a familiar, familiarity with the dance moves and by paying attention to where your partner is leading you. And the same can be said for keeping in step with the Spirit. Life by the Spirit doesn't mean that we are inactive, that we have no part to play. It means that as we respond to the Spirit's prompting, that we are surrendering our lives to the Spirit, and so are orienting our lives around Christ. My friend posted this quote on Facebook this week from the Canadian Christian psychologist David Benner, who wrote this in his book, Surrender to Love. Christians often focus on obedience more than on surrender. But while the two concepts are closely related, they differ in important ways. Surrender is foundation to Christian spirituality and is the soil out of which obedience should grow. Christ does not simply want our compliance. He wants our heart. He wants our love. And he offers us his. He invites us to surrender to his love. Christianity puts surrender to love right at the core of the spiritual journey. Christ following is saying yes to God's affirming yes to us. If it is anything less than a response to love, Christ following is not fully Christian. Life lived by the Spirit isn't life that's just governed by a bunch of rules. It is a life surrendered to the love of God, out of which 
the Spirit produces good fruit. And we surrender to the love of God when we orient our lives around the love of God, letting it fill us and wash over us again and again and again and again. So a life of surrender is a life spent practicing the presence of God, growing our awareness of God and God's love. It's a life of prayer, a life immersed in scripture, a life spent enjoying God's creation, a life spent seeking the image of God in the people around us. In the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines, we grow in awareness of God's presence. And thus we grow in our capacity and our desire to surrender our lives to God. And the Holy Spirit takes this awareness and this surrender and uses it as the soil from which good fruit are produced. So the question for all of us is, are we keeping in step with the Spirit? Do the things we do with our time and our energy bring us closer into relationship with God, growing our awareness of the Spirit's presence in our life? Do we spend time with God in prayer, in the word, in worship, in contemplation, coming to know God more and more, paying attention so that we are ready to follow where the Spirit leads? Are we responding to God's love, to God's yes to us? It is that response of faith, our yes back to God, that is the soil out of which the Spirit grows good fruit. So may our lives be turned towards God, following him as he leads us in a dance of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, grow in us good fruit. Help us orient our lives around Christ, responding to his gift of grace, responding to his love, that we might then live in love towards others. When we have turned inward upon ourselves, shake us from our selfishness and move us to turn towards others as we turn toward you. Help us to walk in step with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.